0: There was once a tank that was full of goldfish. And some of the goldfish were fairly new in the tank. And one day an older goldfish came up to the young goldfish and said, how's the water? And the young goldfish looked at the old good fish and said, what's water? What's water? The old goldfish just looked up in frustration and moved on. You see, what the young goldfish were going through is that they had never had any experience of life anywhere but in that tank. They were born in that tank, and uh, they thought that everything there was just the way things were. It was normal. What do you mean, water? Show me the water. Show it to me. And of course, you can't show them the water because they're in it. They experience life constantly in it. You see, we are like that goldfish. For a lot of us, we take, there's a philosophical term that I run into in my head all the time because it's confirmed. And that philosophical term is called naive realism. Naive realism is when you think, well, what's so special about this? This is just normal. American life, the way it is right now, it's normal. What do you mean? Until you start studying history, until you start seeing how other people lived in other times and what they behaved like and what they believed in other times. And even the smartest people have made this error. My my one slight disagreement with the founding fathers is when they, in the Declaration of Independence, said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The part I most disagree with is when they say, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Folks, they are not self-evident. All you have to do is to look at other cultures, past and present, to find out that these cultures are not self-evident, that these beliefs are not self-evident. The founding fathers being limited in their travel, Presume that those were self-evident truths. But if they would have gone to India, for example, in India they would have run into the caste system, where there were people who were not as good as others by birth. If they would go to nations of Islam, they would understand that non-Muslims are not equal to Muslims, that we're not created equal. And they would understand a whole slew of other things that we presume because we live in the West, but the West is a particular fish tank. We live in a fish tank and we think that all fish tanks are like this, and they're not. Now why am I talking about this today? Because everything that we experience in our culture, the way we live, the way of things we value in our culture, all of those things are products of Christianity. They are all products of Christianity. They did not exist in the ancient world. It is the Trinity that was revealed to us, that gave us the world in which we live. And so I'd like to comment today on the gospel, but the gospel divided in two. The first half and then the second half. The first half would be this. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes might not perish, but might have eternal life. Now that rat that, that is John 3.16. And it's the kind of verse that you see it everywhere. You see it in football jerseys, you see it in cars, you see it everywhere. God so loved the world. And we almost think, what's well, something about that? God, God is love. No, not really. You see, let me put it this to you this way imagine that i am with a in front of a group of just all kinds of different people not in a catholic church all kinds of different people and i say to you how many of you believe in god and a good number of people raise their hands and i go i do too the problem though is that um Maybe you don't know that five minutes before that gathering, I was in a field kneeling before a tree, worshiping that tree. And that tree is my God. Now, do I believe in God? Yes. But my God is a tree. Is your God a tree? Well, of course not. You have the Christian God. But if I said, we all, look, we all believe in God, we all make the presumption that all of our beliefs are the same. They're not. I sometimes, when I teach, I imagine people to imagine the word God to be a very large box And the box has the word God written on it. And all of us are there standing in front of that box and we go, Do you believe in God? And God is that box. And everybody says, Yes. See, there's the box. I believe in that box. That box says God. The problem is this who's in the box? who's in the box we don't have to doubt that the box exists the box is there marked God however could the box be empty and if the box is empty and you affirm it's empty you say I'm an atheist I believe in the concept of God but I believe that it's an empty box there's nobody inside Or you can say, I don't know if there's anybody inside. And then you say, well, I'm an agnostic. Because I don't know if there's a God or not in somebody inside. There's no question about the container. The word God is not God's name. The word God is a container. But if you say, no, I believe somebody's in there. Then the next question comes, who or what? Is it the gods of the ancient Romans? Because they believed that their gods existed. They honored Mars, the god of war. They, they honored Poseidon, the Greek god of the seas. They honored the god of the sun, Apollo, they, all got, they, all, they were they, all kinds of gods and they believed him. And the gods of the ancient world, they were constantly fighting. As a matter of fact, in the ancient world, the way human beings were considered to be created was that the ancient gods were fighting with one another. And as one of them destroyed the other, they would take the entrails of the other god and out of the entrails they created humankind. And humankind was created to be slaves to the gods. And so the gods created the humans to be slaves. And some were higher slaves than others. But slavery was considered because even the gods made us to be slaves. That's why you had to offer sacrifice to the gods. Because the gods had power over you. The gods did not love you. The very fact of thinking that there was a god that loved you, that was preposterous. The gods of nature did not love you. And they got their understanding from nature. They saw the way nature was, and nature at any one moment could be beautiful, and at the next moment it would be violent. The one moment it could give you life, and the next moment it would kill you. And they believed that it was the gods who to directed each part of nature that had to be placated in order for that god to treat you well. And so they would sacrifice to them. There's a fancy word that you can uh, use to uh, bedazzle your friends when they offered sacrifices to them. The sacrifices were called apotropaic. You know what that means? Apotropaic means to turn away. Apo is away, and tropos means to turn. And so, what you would do? What would you do? If you have an angry neighbor, you give him gifts to make sure he doesn't destroy you. And that was the way that gods were in the ancient world. When Jesus was alive in the the flesh, that's all they understood. And not only that, sometimes the emperors would be considered gods. There were so many gods, the, the Roman Empire did not care which gods you worshipped. You could worship any god you wanted, Greeks, Syrian, Babylonian, or Roman. They didn't care. You know, as long as you did what? As long as you worshipped the emperor. Because the emperor was considered to be a god. Sometimes people say to me, well, you know, Father, Jesus never claimed to be God in the New Testament. That is correct. He never used that word. You know why? Because it was so cheap. Because there were so many gods and the emperor was God that if Jesus would have said, I am God, they went, oh, welcome, there's another one. And so he never did. He associated himself only with the name of the God of Israel. And the God of Israel was considered to be nuts. They were considered to be nuts. But even the God of Israel was not love. God was more justice. God demanded obedience. He loved his people, but God was not love. And when the first Christians started, and they started to worship Jesus as the God who became human, imagine the God of the universe becomes human. To the Romans, that was total absurdity. It was idiocy to understand that there was a God who would allow to be human, and then a God who would allow himself to be crucified. Because crucifixion was the most cruel way to die. They stripped you naked and they tore you apart with whips with bits of bone attached that would tear your flesh and they hung your corpse and they would leave the corpse in order to rot and for the birds to feed on it. There's one time the Romans, there was, there was, the Romans used crucifixion to keep the slaves. You see, the world of the Romans was full of slaves. There were more slaves in Rome than there were citizens. And you know how they kept them in line? The terror. Crucifixion. Crucifixion was reserved to slaves. And you know, one time, this is historically accurate, a slave killed a senator. And the penalty for a slave to kill a senator was that all of the slaves in his household had to be crucified. That day or that month, whatever it was, 400 slaves, men, women and children were crucified because one slave killed a senator, a Roman senator. And it was horrific. Now. Christ is crucified. What kind of God is this? You know, let me give you one, one small example which will tell you how the early Romans understood the Christian message. Because the Christian message was considered ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. Do you know the first instance that we have of a cross in the whole of Western history. There is part in a museum in Rome a caricature that is chiseled onto a piece of marble. And onto this piece of marble there is a person crucified on a cross but the head of the person is the head of a jackass. And then There's a man standing before this crucifix going like this. And the uh, caption reads, Plotinus worships his asinine God. That's the first understanding of crucifixion that we have. Now folks, why am I talking about this? Listen to this. God so loved the world. Imagine that being said in the Roman context that I have just said to you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that all who believe in him might not perish but might have eternal life. Folks, we do not realize that the very pond that we are swimming in is all Christian water. The moment you say that all men are created equal, that is not true. No other culture believes that except Christian cultures. Go to India, Go to any Islamic countries. Go to the Soviet Union. Go to China. Go to anywhere that is not Christian. All men are not created equal. As a matter of fact, nature shows you that men are not created equal. There's fat ones, there's thin ones, there's intelligent ones. There's all kinds of different ones. And then you study Darwin. All people are not created equal. In Darwin, what you have is the survival of the fittest. And what does happen? Nature kills the ones that are not fit. We should do away with the ones that are not fit so that allow the fit to survive. That's the way nature is. So if your religion comes from nature or if you're an atheist, why not? Where do you think Hitler got his whole idea? Where do you think Stalin got this whole idea? Or Mao? that human beings are not equal. There are some who are more important than others. And it's okay to break a few eggs in order to make an omelet, so Stalin said. And so when we celebrate the feast of the Holy Trinity, and you, we so blithely accept God so loved the world that he sent his only son into this world so that we might be saved through him, don't think it's so normal because it's not as a matter of fact it is the exception in human history and the reason why when you come to church you see this crucifix behind you is because at that moment when Jesus is crucified the catholic church considers it the most important moment in the history of salvation you know why? Because at that very moment, we came to understand when he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. That was the contrary moment to the Roman gods. That proved that no matter how far we pushed God, God still loved us. That was a ridiculous statement to make in the ancient Roman world which is why Christians for so long were rejected as traitors because, and atheists. Why? Because they didn't believe in the God Emperor. And so they were treated as atheists. That's why there were persecutions. So that's the first half. Now, a little shorter, but allow me to deal with the second half of this. Because I think the second half of the Gospel deals with a lot of confusion. Listen to this part, second half of the gospel. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that we might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already condemned, because he did not believe in the name of the only son of God. Now, how should we interpret that? Because it sounds like the Bible is saying, if you don't believe in the name of Jesus, you're going to hell. Sounds like it. That's the problem. The problem is when you take one little sentence out and you take it out of context, you don't understand its meaning. First, in order to interpret that, In order to interpret that text, you have to ask the question, what does the word believe mean? Let me give you an example. I've never been to France, but I believe that there's a place, a building, or a tower called the Eiffel Tower. I have never seen it. For all I know, it could be photoshopped. But I believe that there is a thing called the Eiffel Tower. But what if there isn't? What if it turns out that the whole Eiffel Tower idea was a Photoshop? I don't care. I believe something it was wrong. Not a big deal. So what? Another belief down the drain. That belief does not have any consequence on me. Not at all. But let me give you a different scenario. You're about to enter into an operating room with a heart condition that's very dangerous. And your cardiovascular surgeon comes in right before they put you under. And they say to you, hang in there, you'll be okay. And you turn to your surgeon and you say, I believe in you. Is that the same thing as I believe in the Eiffel Tower? Uh Uh-uh. You're saying I'm putting my life in your hands. I'm putting my life in your hand. If I grasp onto your hand I will be okay. What does that mean when we apply it to this verse? If we don't believe in the name of the Lord, we will be, not be saved. Let me give you a quick story. And some of you may have heard this story. I made it up. Okay? I want you to imagine two men go out on a boat. And they're out in the middle of the ocean. They're all fishing in the middle of the ocean. And one moment... The boat explodes, sending the two men flying into the sea. Both men survive the explosion, and one of them is hanging on, both of them are hanging on to different pieces of wood, bobbing up and down in the ocean. As a result of the explosion, one of the men is blinded, can't see a thing. The other man can see. And they're bobbing up and down on the ocean. Along comes a helicopter from the Coast Guard and starts hovering over the men and coming down to rescue them. Now I ask you, you don't have to answer, but ask, think about it. Can both men be saved? Yeah. Can both men be saved? Yes. Yes. The blind one and the seeing one can be saved. Now, from the helicopter, the the rescue from from the Coast Guard guy comes down on a rope with another harness to help the man out. And it happens to be the seeing man. And the seeing man works with a guy and helps climb in to the harness. Now, He's lifted up into the helicopter. Now, the blind man, what is his condition? Well, you see, he can't see that there's a helicopter there. So all he hears is the rumble. So he thinks there's thunder because there's wind from the helicopter blades. And the seas are all turbulent and he hears thunder and and he thinks oh my god not only has the boat exploded but we're in the middle of a storm and he's trying to hang on he doesn't see there's a helicopter but down comes the guy and all of a sudden he's holding on and all of a sudden he feels a hand grasp his wrist And immediately when he feels a hand grasp his wrist, he says, oh, it's my nephew Jim. My nephew Jim in the middle of the storm has come to rescue me. I knew he would come. Can the blind man be saved? Yes. Is the blind man totally wrong as to who is saving him? Yes. Well, how can the blind man be wrong, be saved? If he cooperates with the felt experience of his rescue. What is the felt experience of his rescue? Cooperating with a hand that is stretched out to him. He believes in the hand that is stretched out to rescue him. And he cooperates with that hand to be lifted up. As he's being lifted up, he thinks he's going to the boat where his nephew's at. He thinks that it's his nephew, Jim. He is 100% wrong. But as long as he cooperates with the felt experience of his rescue, he is believing in it. That's what John means. Whenever a human being experiences any aspect of the authentic Holy Spirit, God, inside of them, and grabs on to the truth as best as they know it, and cooperate with that truth, and believe and trust, remember that's what the word believe, and trust themselves to that truth, Even though they're wrong about the identity of who rescued them, the identity of the storm, the identity of everything, they cooperated with the felt experience of their rescue. And that's the saving part. That's what the church believes. That every human being has a chance to be rescued. Whether you are wrong about the details or not, Every single human being is saved by Jesus. There is no salvation outside of Jesus. But you may not always know his name. You may not always know the circumstances. And so today, what we're doing is celebrating the the Trinity. Folks, let me tell you, if the Trinity were not here, we would still be sacrificing women and throwing them into the volcano to appease the god of the volcano. We would still be sacrificing men and young children to appease the gods. Where do you think we came, all this civilization that we call Western civilization, where do you think it came from? Where do you think universities came from? They came from monasteries that began teaching people. Where do you think hospitals came from? Do you know what they're called hospitals? Their hospitality. You know who used to offer hospitality to totally sick people? Monasteries, where they would care for the sick and they didn't care if they were ill. Everybody else was running away when there was plague. But it was the monasteries, it was the priests, it was the religious, it was the Christians who gave hospitality to the sick. Where do you think individual dignity comes from? God made man in his image and likeness male and female he created them where do you think all of those things come from where do you think victim to make sure that victims i always imagine now I'll shut up after this i always imagine you take take a, a time machine and and stand in the roman and you're if you're transported to roman times and you're arrested by a roman officer and they're taken you're taken by the to the emperor and you say I have, my rights have been violated. I have been victimized. You know what the emperor is going to do? He's going to look at you and say, what rights? You're mine. And by the way, victimized, we have a circus and we enjoy it. We have a circus full of victims and you're going to, we're going to enjoy you being a victim. Folks, don't presume that all of this that we have, our culture is hardwired. It's not. It is the product of the Trinity. And all that flows from a God who is identified as love. That All of that culture flows from that one fact. God is three persons in one God, and his essence, is love. And he made us in his image and in his likeness. God bless.